You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College episode number 269, William Howard Taft, part one. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, we are going to talk for a couple episodes about William Howard Taft, president of these here United States. And uh, interestingly enough, he was born very near your place of living, your living place, however you say those things. Yeah. Like if I were a crow and I were flying, it would be a less than five minute flight. Go figure. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so he's born in September of 1857 in Cincinnati, and his parents were not particularly wealthy. Uh, they were pretty modest income and not a, also kind of a modest home. He didn't come from any, uh, you know, grand estates like a lot of our presidents have. And he just started working really fast. I mean, he wasn't really seen that much as uh, a smart guy when he was a kid, but that everybody could tell he was going to be a hard worker. And his parents, you know, they demanded a lot from him. A lot of times people who come from very little want a lot better for their kids. And that was definitely true uh, with William Howard Taft, that his parents pushed him hard. They pushed his brothers hard. They didn't want him to fail. Yeah. And, you know, we can call, I mean, William Howard Taft, that's a long name, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. The last name's not that long, but everybody called him Will. And Will was the product of Alfonso's second marriage. And he was kind of doted upon, even though, yeah, pressure was put on him to succeed and everything like that. He was the favorite kid. And it doesn't seem like his family really resented any of his siblings resented <laughs> that. Because later on in life, we'll see that his older brother, especially uh, Charles, Yeah, kind of looked out for a little bro. But you've got Will, favorite son. He's got a good start. Definitely. He starts out at Woodward High School in Cincinnati. And then after high school, he goes on to Yale. And he's a popular guy. Uh, People really notice that he's, again, a hard worker. Um, He has integrity. He actually ends up graduating second out of his class of over 120 students and then ends up going to law school, you know, just like every good future president should. Uh, Sorry for the spoiler. And he gets a Bachelor of Laws in 1880, but also he's working on a newspaper while he's there, pick up some extra cash to help pay for school. And this seems to be a trend, Jason, that people go to law school, they work for a paper, and then they become the president. 
Yeah, kind of. And on top of that, you know, his dad founded Skull and Bones. He was one of the uh-huh. co-founders of Skull and Bones there at Yale. Yeah. And of course, you know, Junior, <laughs> Will, uh, was in Skull and Bones. I wonder what that's like. I don't know. Skull and Bones is a mystery to even me. I mean, we walked by it when we toured mm-hmm. Yale. Yeah. And there's just like this weird feeling you get. What are they doing behind those walls? Did you ever watch the the movie? Um, was it just called Bones or Skulls or something? I think it was Skulls. It's a really not that great of a series, but it's about you know Skull and Bones and everything. And I'm sure it's nothing like that. But you know, like you get inducted, and the next day you wake up with a bunch of money in your bank account and all that kind of stuff. Oh man, that'd be all right. Yeah, I, yeah. I wonder if there's an election college society we could start that's kind of a secret. Where we deposit money, or they deposit money in our accounts. Yes. Yeah, I like that. I think we could do something like that. We might be too old. That's true. We'll start a new type of society, I suppose. Yeah. Somebody start that for us and deposit (laughs) money into our account. (laughs) Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. From the get-go, Taft is all about the judiciary. He, after graduating from law school, he gets a job with the Cincinnati commercial newspaper and Taft is covering the local courts as a journalist and he's reading law in his dad's office and he's getting a lot of practical experience before he graduates from law school. He heads up I-71 to Columbus and I-71 wasn't there. Somehow he gets there. Yeah. I wonder how long that took. I don't know that. I mean, that's not that far in a car, but it's probably a couple days in a in a horse and buggy. Yeah. So he heads up to Columbus, takes the bar examination, and he passes with flying colors. So there he is. He is admitted to the bar. He continues to work at the commercial, and his boss says, dude, Will, congratulations on passing the bar exam. How about I give you a pay increase? And you just stay working for me. And Will was like, nope, not going to do it. (laughs) So in 1880, Taft gets appointed as assistant prosecutor for Hamilton County, which is Cincinnati. Will serves uh, for a year as assistant prosecutor, and he quickly resigns in 1882 after President Chester Arthur appoints him as collector of internal revenue for Ohio's first district. That's pretty impressive, you know, he yeah. recognized. <laughs> Definitely. Well, part of Taft's history was being very honorable. And he really refused to get rid of people who were actually competent employees just, you know, for political expediency. And So, you know, some people didn't like that, and he certainly didn't like being pressured to do that. So he ends up resigning there just a couple years, or actually about a year and a couple months after he starts. Uh, He writes to Chester Arthur that he wants to start his own private practice in Cincinnati. And then the next year, he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to help out James G. Blaine. He's the senator from Maine who's going to run for president as a Republican. He ends up losing, but still, uh, Taft does help campaign for him. And then, a couple years later, people are like, hmm, I mean, this guy is really hopping. He's only 29 years old. 
let's appoint him to a vacancy on the Superior Court of Cincinnati. And so the governor says, all right, let's do it. And there he sits for about a year before a vote comes up. And this is interesting because most of people who are politicians and who become our president, you know, they, they run for many different offices and they tend to be um, running, having a lot of different elections. Taft was only involved in three elections and two of them were for the presidency. So it's pretty impressive that he was able to get as far as he did with, uh, you know, basically appointments and stuff like that. Somewhere at this point in Will's life, he meets Helen Heron and we know her as Nellie. It's not clear when exactly they meet, but we'll just say 1880. And by four years later, they're meeting regularly. Uh, what does that mean? I don't know. But a year later, he says, hey, Nellie, let's get married. And she says, no. <laughs> and then she says, okay. And in June of 1886, they marry. They end up being married for 44 years. And it is said that if it wasn't for Nellie and other members of the Taft family, Will would probably be content just working as a judge, working in the courts, doing that type of thing. But we will see throughout his political career, Nellie is pushing him to run for president. I think probably she would like to have been president. <laughs> That's pretty likely to be true. So there is, in 1889, a seat vacant on the U.S. Supreme Court. And President Harrison gets a, a little tip from the tip line and says, how about this Taft guy? He's 32 years old. He's a great attorney. He would make an excellent individual on the Supreme Court. And so Taft starts actively seeking this appointment and <laughs> continues to write uh, and have other people write on his behalf in order to get President Harrison to notice him. Well, Harrison notices him, but not quite for the job he wanted. He gets appointed as the Solicitor General of the United States. And when he gets there, there's just a ton of work that has not been done because nobody's been in the office for a while. So he starts working feverishly and gets a lot of stuff uh, fixed and figured out. And he also just continues to study federal law and learn more and more about the things he would need to get what he wanted because a lot of that stuff, you know, you don't learn as a state judge. You don't learn as a, as a local judge. It's not quite relevant. So pretty ambitious guy to have not only a backlog of work from somebody else, but also to be studying to further yourself all along. Yeah, so there they are, um, Will and Nellie. They're in Washington, and Nellie is like, hey, we need to really get close with people like Theodore Roosevelt and John Hay and Henry Cabot Lodge, you know, socialize with those people. And Will <laughs> was much more like, I want to hang out with the Supreme Court dudes because... That's what I want to do when I grow up. Maybe a little bit of tension there, but Will, he's like, I want to please the people, and I'm kind of popular. So, okay, Nellie, I'll do whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Taft is successful as Solicitor General. He wins 15 of 18 cases that he argues before the Supreme Court, and 
1891, Harrison appoints Taft to the Sixth Circuit, which is based in Cincinnati. So he gets to go home, which must have been pretty excited for him. Nellie was probably like, no, I don't want to go back there. (laughs) Yeah. So this appointment uh, is pretty much a lifetime appointment. And a lot of times people who were in the federal judge position get appointed to be a Supreme Court judge. And this is great because this is obviously his goal. And while he's doing that, he's not making a ton of money. So his older half-brother, Charles, who's a pretty successful business guy, basically helps him out by giving him some extra money because his government salary isn't quite what it was cracked up to be. And during this time, I mean, he's really happy. He's content. Like Jason said, it's entirely possible that he would have stayed here forever had the events coming not happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of events, so 1896, Taft becomes the dean and professor of property at the Cincinnati Law School. And this requires him to be pretty diligent in preparing uh, for these two-hour-long lectures that he gave every week. He was all about uh, the education and enhancing that uh, there in Cincinnati, but he also was still the federal judge, and he officially needed to be as neutral as possible when it came to politics, but, you know, you're a member of the Taft family in Ohio, you're a Republican. And he cannot believe it, but William McKinley, he's about to storm the national scene when he runs for president. Uh, Taft did not particularly care for McKinley as a candidate. He said, quote, I cannot find anybody in Washington who wants him. Um, But by March of 1896, Taft says, oh, it looks like William McKinley's going to be nominated. (laughs) And uh, I guess I'll support him. Um, But I think I'm going to be much more against William Jennings Bryan in this election than I am for William McKinley. So McKinley does win the election. And in 1898, another Supreme Court position opens up. And McKinley chooses Joseph McKenna instead. That's pretty rough. So a little while later in 1900, President McKinley calls Taft in, and Taft is like, all right, this is it. I'm getting my Supreme Court appointment. But in reality, he just sends him to the Philippines uh, to help organize a government uh, from the civilian population. So a lot of stuff's happening, and during this time is the Philippine Revolution, the Philippine-American War, and the Filipinos are fighting for their independence. Basically, Taft is just seeking to make sure that the Filipinos... Uh, partner in this effort to make them have their own self-government. And the whole situation there is definitely material that could be wrapped up into another episode as it does entail many different presidents and political things and stuff like that. But long story short is that in 1902, President Roosevelt at the time had told Taft, Will, that a seat on the Supreme Court might just soon be coming empty. And pretty much Theodore Roosevelt says, hey, Will, how about you do it? And all this time, 
Will Taft has been just striving to be the to be the Supreme Court justice we all knew he could be. And he says, all right, listen, no, I'm not done yet uh, with the other work I have going on. I would really, you know, want to finish that up. In January of 1904, Taft takes over as Secretary of War. So he's back home. And TR chooses Taft as being kind of a legal advisor and somebody who's going to look out for the administration and make sure everything is running the way it should. He's going to troubleshoot some situations. He's going to make sure that everything is golden for the Republicans. And Roosevelt and Taft gains a lot of favor with Theodore Roosevelt. Now, the two had known each other for quite some time, and they were not exactly alike. Theodore Roosevelt being more of the progressive and Taft being the more traditional Republican, but, you know, they got along quite well. Edith Roosevelt did not care for this. You know, she's the first lady, and she's like, hang on a second. These two were kind of different before, but now they're looking like the same person. And <laughs> Taft, being the people pleaser, let's just go ahead and give it, give that one away. He wanted to make people like him. He wouldn't do much to contradict TR at all. All the while, Taft wants to be chief justice. He's thinking, hey, there's another guy on the Supreme Court that's looking like he's getting pretty old, and it looks like... I might get a chance. And that man was Melville Fuller. He turned 75 years old in 1908. And Roosevelt thinks, yeah, I'll, I'll replace him. But Fuller ends up living <laughs> for a while longer. It doesn't work out. And Taft gets sent to Cuba to be involved in the situation there following the Spanish-American War. So President Roosevelt has basically said at this point, hey, I'm not going to run again. We we know that. We listened to that episode, hopefully, a couple episodes ago where we talked about President Roosevelt and his plans. But he says, hey, I'm not running again. And so look, we might just have the heir apparent to the presidency in William Taft. But in order to find out that for sure, you'll have to listen to the next episode. Don't you love how we do that? Hopefully you're listening to all the episodes anyway. And if you aren't, you really should. And even if you aren't, you probably should leave us a review. And you can do that over at iTunes uh, by going to electioncollege.com slash iTunes and leave us a nice rating and review. It really helps the rest of the world know how great the show is, if you think it's great. And it also makes us feel nice. So, ladies and gentlemen, just in case you didn't know this, if you're an Apple user, you can say, hey, Siri, subscribe to Election College Podcast. Just to confirm, would you like to subscribe to the podcast Election College Presidential Election History by the Recorded History Podcast Network? <laughs> yes. Duh. So it's as simple as that. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, when you hit the subscribe button, like angels sing. I, it's true. Not yeah. not the real angels, but not the real. Yeah, the, the baseball team. Yeah, a lot of them sing just because they really like the podcast. 
And, uh, you know, while angels are singing and all of that's going on, uh, go ahead, interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can shoot us a letter if you want. Why not? Email us. You'll find us somehow. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.